Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Stress-Free JD Podcast. I am Amanda Bynum. I am an attorney and an educator. I want to share my journey through this podcast, and I also want to share other attorneys' perspectives on how to thrive rather than just survive in the legal profession. Thank you for being patient as these episodes have trickled out. I've been spread pretty thin, and I always like to practice what I preach, so I had to prioritize my time, and that meant putting the podcast on the back burner for just a few weeks. But do not worry, I have not given up, and I do not intend to. I still have so many ideas, so be sure to give me some positive feedback if you can and share this podcast with anyone, attorney or not, who might benefit from ideas and perspectives on self-care. On this episode, I am talking with Keopu Relitz. She is head of communications, strategy, and efforts for the Executive Office of Early Learning. That office leads and coordinates the state's early learning system in the state of Hawaii. This is just one of the non-legal jobs she's had since graduating law school a decade ago. We actually attended law school at the same time, and we were involved in some of the same activities, and we shared a 1L summer job where she worked in the civil division and me in the criminal division of the county attorney's office. We actually just recently reconnected on LinkedIn when I noticed she was sharing some content that I was interested and vice versa. So we chatted a bit and of course I was so excited when she agreed to be a guest on the podcast. One of the things I loved about this chat is that we learned things about our law school experiences that we never knew about each other until this conversation. So I hope you'll enjoy as she shares so many great stories and insights about her difficulties with law school, her decision to uh, enter into a non-legal career, and how she enjoys the fit where she's able to use the skills that she obtained in law school to have a career that really fits her and her family. She shares uh, her tips for figuring out how to have a flexible work arrangement and balancing a busy career with motherhood and she also talks a lot about the struggles that she had in law school some struggles surrounding the bar exam and just adjusting when she really felt a lot of imposter syndrome so i think this is going to be a great episode uh, for you all to listen to so without further ado here we go how are you doing? I feel like it's probably been 10 years since we talked. I think, yeah, I think so. I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing good. It's very interesting that I found myself back here at the law school, especially when I didn't even do that well in law school. <laughs> but it's actually, it's a, good, it's a good position because I feel like it puts me in a good spot to be able to help students that are struggling, you know, and yeah. they relate. I can relate to them and, you know, let people know that there's still hope. So, I guess. Um, you know, we were friends in law school. Let's just start there. Let's start at sort of what it was like for you in law school and any sort of struggles that you may have had. I know we went to law school together. So what was that experience like? Yes. 
We did. And I'm glad that I remember you as one of the people who was nice to me. Oh, good. Because <laughs> not everyone was. With you. I have a picture with you from um, Bridge. And it was you, me, Julian, oh, yes. and Jillian with our little gavels. And I still have that somewhere. Yes, yes. I think I still have that somewhere, too. <laughs> so law school was really difficult for me. Uh, to be really honest, it was, and I struggle when, when friends or people I know ask, you know, hey, what was law school like? I'm thinking of um, applying and going, whether it's to Arizona or to another school. And I really try to sit down and talk to them about how difficult law school is because we think about it just as the rigor of studying. But emotionally, it was very difficult for me. And it was just a shift in, I mean, it really just kind of shook me to my core. And I wasn't really expecting that. Did you come straight to law school from undergraduate? Yes, I went straight from undergraduate to law school, which is something I also recommend people don't do. Um, I did it in part for financial reasons. Um, so uh, long story short, it was just, it made more sense for me to stay a Hawaii resident. So I was trying to get through school as quickly as possible. Um, yeah. So that was one thing. Not having those life experiences was really difficult. You know, I, I think a lot of, at least when I've talked to fellow classmates when I was in law school and since then, um, I don't think I'm alone in saying that I struggled a lot with imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, and so I thought frequently that I was like, what am I, especially my first year, I'm like, what am I even doing here? There's not, and I will say that when I applied for, when I applied for Arizona, I applied strictly for the Indigenous Peoples Law and Policy Program. I had no idea that it was like a top tier school. <laughs> which sounds crazy and I remember at the beginning of law school people like just laughing at me like yeah of course we're like a top tier school because I just had no idea that was not why I was going to law school well I think um, I, sh I shared that experience because you know I'm from Tucson so the University of Arizona is the only school I applied to oh uh, me too I literally got in off of the wait list like two weeks before school started so I always felt like I didn't really belong here yeah I mean and one of the things that I tell people now, and this is even beyond just law school, is like, you think that we always have this idea because people put up this face of like confidence, right? Like, I'm here, I, be I believe I should be here, I'm supposed to be here. And so that's all we can take in, but we don't know what they're feeling on the inside. And one of the biggest lessons I learned from law school was, hey, you know, here I thought like, oh, everyone was meant to be here. I'm like, nobody knows anything that they're doing there. No one's been to law school. You literally can't practice law until you go to law school. So this idea that everyone else was so much better qualified and, and prepared and had done more to be, be there than me was just kind of when you logic check it, it just didn't make sense. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good way to look at things. But I, I do remember you had um, a strong support system of friends in law school. So what was it that helped you to get through? Um, so I, well, so we were talking earlier. Um, I relied heavily on some, some folks in the law school administration. So um, Dean JC was somebody who I knew I could call on because she, um, whenever there's somebody in the administration who says, you know, if you ever have any trouble, please never hesitate to come and, and knock on my door. And thankfully when I had to, I, I, and I had to a couple times knock on Dean JC's door, um, she was, she was there and ready and not judge, not judgmental at all. And in fact was the, the person that recommended I stay in school and try to, to kind of work through things. And then she said, if you're, 
I remember it was like my first, I, it was at the end of my first year, and I said, I don't even want to be here anymore. I'm thinking of dropping out, but you said to come talk to you first. I'm talking to you first. She said, why don't you give your internship a try? Um, sometimes that kind of rekindles the spark for a lot of people. Give that a try. Come to me next semester. And sure enough, I never did come to her for that the next semester. <laughs> what um, did you so do having that first people, summer? I worked for the Pima County Attorney's Office in the Civil Division. Oh, yeah. And I, yeah, you yeah. were on the other side of the wall for me. So you must have liked it. Yes, I was. <laughs> yes, I did. I really did. And it really, it did exactly what she said. And I said, oh, this is why they, this is why they keep her in that position. But having um, strong mentors or people to connect to in law school is, um, I think, one thing that helped me. And then having kind of a group of people that I could connect with and count on and trust that I, they were never going to judge me um, and that we would come together, you know, at the end of the semester to study, especially first year, right? Because we all have the classes together um, and we would share notes and share outlines. And I, I never got this feeling like, oh, she's not doing enough or, you know, why isn't she or, or any kind of competition, just people that just accepted me for who I am. And we were really there to help each other out and get through it and I, I never felt the sense of competition and that honestly helped a lot um, to get through just that that imposter syndrome like I'm not supposed to be there here and then I had friends who said oh it's I don't really care just yeah actually you yeah. are supposed to be here yeah yeah just you're supposed to be at the coffee shop with us studying yeah <laughs> you know yes so I remember very specifically that you had gotten really into cycling in law school and it, you were just like a fitness maniac at that point, I feel like. So um, what can you tell me about that? So one of the best things to come out of law school was not my degree. Instead, it was um, finding healthier coping mechanisms. <laughs> to get through stress and anxiety I had a lot of that imposter syndrome led to a lot of anxiety and actually did have a, quite a bit of panic attacks in law school especially that first year um, and so I had some friends who were like training for marathons and riding bikes and so I just kind of tagged along with them first I started walking um, and I was like oh I, and I started to lose weight it was actually my first year that I um, I got that internship, which I thought the internship I would have never gotten because it was pretty competitive, especially for the public public sector as a paid, one of the few at the time paid internships in the public sector is for government. And I was one of their top choices. They told me so. And so that was just like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And then I went to Target, I think it was, and tried to buy clothes for the summer and I couldn't fit anything. And I was like freaking out oh my goodness, like I, here I am, like living the dream. Maybe I am supposed to be here and now I can't even find any clothes that I can afford to fit to go to the job that I really wanted. Yeah. And so that was like that turning point for me that I needed to start um, losing weight and get healthier. And then because I was hanging out with those friends, I started by walking and then eventually I was like, oh, maybe I'll start running slowly. Um, and then eventually got on a bike and that is to this day, I still, I still cycle a lot. I, I don't run as much, but that's mostly motherhood that's done that to me and not um, yeah. anything else. Um, and so it, it was really helpful. It was helpful during bar study when, when I thought I was just going crazy and I couldn't handle anymore. I'd literally drop everything, get on my bike and go ride for an hour and come back and have a lot better perspective. I wish I had found fitness much earlier than I, I did. And so I think it's great that you were able to figure out the healthy coping mechanisms earlier. 
So after law school, what was your career path like up until where you're at now? Uh, my career path is a winding one. <laughs> I took the Arizona bar the February after. I was, took me a while to kind of settle into where I kind of wanted to be. Wasn't sure if I was going to stay in Arizona, um, but I did actually end up taking the Arizona the February after I graduated, passed, um, was preparing to stay in Arizona and practice or at least go to another state where I could use um, that bar admission. And um, September, so almost a year, a, a year and a few months after I graduated, um, my dad passed away. And it was super sudden and um, really unexpected. And I flew home. I was working actually at the Pima County Sheriff's Department at that time. Um, I flew home. And then by the time I came back a week later after the services, I had decided I was going to move home to Hawaii. Um, so I really had to restart my life. Um, came home, worked, um, decided, hey, I didn't even like the work I was at, so maybe I should go and um, take the bar here. So I took the bar in Hawaii, failed, took the oh, next wow. bar in Hawaii, failed again. Wow. Um, and, this, and the second time I failed it by one weighted point. And in Hawaii, you can't appeal. Wow. In Arizona, you can, or at least when I was in Arizona, you could appeal and have them look at your... Um, information again or your, your answers again and what you can there's no ap appeals process um, so I had to like take a really long hard look at myself in the mirror and say you know do you really want this and um, I just decided my heart wasn't in it and I try again when my heart was in it and then my heart never got back in it so huh. um, I started at some point so at some point um, I picked up a job as an adjunct instructor at Argosy University, um, and I actually ended up working there for seven years teaching, like, criminal justice, which is funny because I was terrible at that in law school, <laughs> um, teaching, like, law and politics and government, um, which was really cool and a, and a fun experience. Um, and then I eventually got into um, the magazine world. I was an editor for a couple of years, um, and then I eventually landed in understanding that um, I really liked media and storytelling and got into PR. So I've been okay. in public affairs because um, I've been working for the government in PR for the last uh, four or five years now. Um, so I do a lot of work working with government leaders, um, helping them craft the communications for their, their department internal and external. Is that a JD preferred job? Like no. No, okay. No, it's not. I mean, I think I've, they were able to, I think they've used that in the in past jobs, they've used that to um, to advocate for higher salaries, um, but it's not, it doesn't, it does not say JD preferred at all. Not for, not for the department I previously worked in and for the office I work in now. Does your law degree, how has your law degree helped you throughout those alternative careers, education, publishing, and PR? So I always say that law, I, I don't think there's been a day in my career past law school that I haven't used that law school education. Um, I, for me, the, the legal education is one that provides a, a way to see problems and a way to understand risk and liabilities. And so that is like 100% the job of PR, right? Is we're understanding where are the risks, where are the liabilities, and how do we, how do we focus um, our efforts and our communications to resolve this problem. And so that's, to me, that is essentially a legal 
education. Um, so in that kind of higher level thinking, that's been something that, that has taken me and driven me through my career in media and, and communications. Um, but also it helps, it, it's helped me in, in working as a public affairs um, and, or working in public affairs that I can easily go in between what is law and what is policy and have conversations with my legal team. And I think it makes me a better legal communicator or communicator because I can understand where are the legal boundaries and where, where can I, where do I have wiggle room and how does my job help when say my department is sued? Um, so in the previous department I worked in, we were sued quite frequently. And so the line usually is, you know, we can't, we can't respond in active litigation. And I would always push back and say, can we really not respond in active litigation? Or is there something that you need our department to say, litigation team, that will help you in the, in the public arena? And so being able to ha have that feeling like I'm equal to the lawyers that I have to work with and who serve our departments has been super helpful just in my day-to-day -day activities um, as, a, as a public information officer previously. What has it been like working with lawyers when you are serving in a non-lawyer capacity? There are, as in every profession, there are really good lawyers and sometimes there are bad apples. So one of the things that I struggled with when I first came over to government PR, um, public affairs, um, is that a lot of the um, lawyers that I worked with assumed automatically that I had no understanding of the law or legal processes. Um, so they frequently talked down to me, um, and that was really unfortunate. It made me sad to be from the legal profession. Um, you know, like, I could have been your classmate, and I don't think I would treat anybody like that just because they don't have a law degree. Um, so it was, it's been difficult at times, and there are, there are times when I have had, I've been able to have with a lot of the good attorneys, you know, have conversations about, hey, can you maybe talk to your colleague about how they talk to other people that are non-lawyers because it doesn't make us feel good and we're your clients. Right. And so if we're your clients, maybe you should make us feel good about ourselves so that we can win with you. Um, yeah. and so that's been, it's been nice to have conversations with attorneys who are willing to listen. But there's yeah. been times when I've had to straight up say like, listen, I went to law school. You don't have to tell me this. Well, it's interesting to get that perspective because I do like to talk about this, you know, the ABA task force did this report about wellness in the profession. And one of the biggest things that they see contributing to poor mental health and well-being in the profession is lawyers' lack of collegiality towards each other. And it seems like you've seen evidence of that pouring out into the communities that they serve. Yes, definitely. And there's, yeah, there are just times when it's, it feels like at times where you, we have to wear our, our law degree on our, on our, you know, on our sleeve to prove that we know enough. And I, and I've never come, I never went to law school to be better than anybody else. And I think that's the majority of our classmates, right? We, yeah. The majority of people I know went to law school to make a difference because it was interesting, right? And so do we really want people to see, I think sometimes we have to think, Lawyers have to, I, I wish lawyers and the law profession would take a look and say, you know, is this really how we want other people to see us? And if the, if the answer is no, then there needs to be maybe some more groundwork laid in the law schools about, you know, how you treat other people, lawyers and non-lawyers, is a reflection on the profession as a whole. Yeah. 
So I wanted to circle back because I, I'm interested because I didn't know this about taking the bar a couple of times in Hawaii and not being successful. And so I'd like to know a little bit about how you were feeling at that time, how you dealt with that self setback, and if you have any tips maybe for someone else who hasn't passed the bar and is making decisions about what they're going to do with their life. Um, it is... I consider failing the bar twice my two of my best failures in life <laughs> um, because it led me to where I am, but not in like a, well, that the door closed, but in like a really like self-reflective way of what do I want out of my life? And is a law, is a law, pra is practicing law going to lead me to what I want out of my life? And the answer at the time was not right now. And I think that was healthy for me to sit and really think like this, if I, if I missed passing the bar because I had, and, and part of it is I had passed the bar. So I knew I passed the bar in Arizona and it was not like it's that much harder in Hawaii. So I knew that I was, I was capable of it. Mm -hmm. So that, that might be a little different because I, I did know I was capable of passing the bar, but to miss it by one point told me right. I was also capable of it. I just did it, maybe didn't want it enough. Yeah. Um, and, and that took me a long time to be okay with. Um, and, and it, you know, and inevitably I said, and it was good to say, so if anyone's thinking maybe, hey, I didn't pass it the first time or a second time, I know, a, but I think most of my closest friends that graduated from University of Hawaii, Richardson School of Law, um, most of them took three times yeah. to pass the bar. So I wasn't alone if I had taken it three times. Yeah. Um, so I know that, you're not alone, first of all. And second of all, know that if you don't pass the bar now, you can pass the bar later. It's not like, it's not like you can never, you, you don't get another shot at it. It happens twice a year. You can come back when you're ready. And that part of being, part of passing the bar is being ready as a whole person to pass the bar, meaning that you are able to endure essentially a marathon yeah. of, a, of two, two or three days plus the training that goes into that marathon and sometimes just like you might not be ready to run that marathon in January you might not be ready to, to take the bar in February and that's just it's not a commentary on yourself it's just where you are at the time and that's perfectly fine and you can always come back to it I think that's a really good thought I actually was just talking with a recent graduate who um has taken the bar three times in Arizona. She got admitted in another state, but she really wants to be admitted in Arizona. And she just kept telling me, like, I know the material. It's just that I can't handle the stress of the bar exam. And I think that when you're talking about, oh, maybe it's just she's just not ready. It's not the time for her. And when it's time, you know, she'll be able to take on that challenge. I'm almost going to, like, tell her to listen to your advice on this podcast now. <laughs> so that's a good thing. So now that you're in this new uh, profession doing PR, do you feel like you're well and balanced in your career? Um, in my career, yes. As a mother, no. Yeah, I was going to ask you about motherhood next because I'm wondering at what point in your career you had your first child and how that has contributed to your challenger successes in, in your career. Uh, sure. So we, so we actually tried for almost a year and were unsuccessful. Um, and so we had actually planned to have a child before I kind of moved into PR full time. Um, 
but it didn't work out that way. And so I ended up having my getting pregnant and having my first child, um, actually almost a year to when I started at my last apartment. Um, it was like almost the anniversary and that's when I gave birth. Um, yeah. And it it was kind of, and I was lucky. One of the things that I, I think I'm, I think we're fortunate in our generation to have is the ability to have more flexible work schedules. Um, so I was able to kind of pitch it. I've talked to a lot of, well, one, I think any mom in any career, particularly though high stress or high stakes careers like law and even PR to some extent, um, folks need, it's good for women to have other working professional women to look to who are mothers, who can help them kind of navigate the process, what worked for them personally, what also worked for their companies. Um, and so that was something I relied very heavily on during my first pregnancy to kind of get through through the everything that comes with it. Like when you're taking leave, how do you get through the morning sickness, all these things I had, I had other working moms that I could rely on um, for that kind of advice. Um, so that's one thing I think a lot of working moms should remember is that you please don't do it alone because you're it's it's like law school. No one does it until they do it. So you might as well reach out to people who have done it before and, and get the help from them. Um, but then on top of it, because I was able to have some of those discussions with some of those women, you know, they talked to me about flexible work schedules coming back. Um, so I was able to, you know, pitch it to my employer. Hey, I have a laptop. I also have the ability to come in part time. You don't want somebody to, you don't want to have to hire someone temporarily to come in and learn your department and learn all of the subject areas that I have to handle on a daily basis because by the time they learn it, I'm going to be back from maternity leave. So let's make this a win win where I come in, do some of the work. You don't have to worry about training somebody new just to have them booted out of the spot in a couple months. Um, and let's make this a win-win for my family's uh, financial situation. Um, so just not being afraid to have that conversation, but also being sure to have a plan when you go into your employer. And I know that some other women who are still in the legal profession have done that with their employers too. I mean, it just depends on the employer, but that's possible. an issue that I hear coming up a lot, especially with young women lawyers. And I suffered with, from that dilemma in my career too. And I do think it's hard to go and ask your boss to, you know, give you the flexible work schedule. But at the same time, I think it's becoming more and more accepted. And right. so people shouldn't be afraid to ask for it. Right. And the, and the good thing, too, though, I, I found was once you do it, and particularly if you do it well, where you, you, you're not going to be 100%, and that's part of it is managing expectations, right? Like when I say part-time, I mean part-time. Like you are not going to get assistance on this, this, and this, but you'll get a hundred percent assistance on this because that's your highest priority. That's what we've decided is the highest priority level for me to spend the 20 hours a week on. Right. So you have that conversation, but then once you do it, if you're someone who wants to have more than one child, then it just becomes that much easier. So even when I, you know, I've talked to um, my husband about whether or not we wanted the second child. Right. Um, and even if we, we haven't decided if we want to grow our family even more, we don't know yet. Right. But I, I now have the confidence in saying, when I tell you, I'm, I can continue, I can come into work three weeks postpartum. You don't, you can't sit there and laugh at me because that's exactly what I did. Right. I made it work for my family. And so there's, there's, I just, I now have the confidence to do it again 
And that I think makes me a stronger mom to be able to advocate for other moms and for myself for if we decide to have more kids. Are you working full-time now or are you still part-time? Oh no, I'm full-time. It's, um, it's interesting because I remember I had Marley in October right after we graduated and oh. Uh, I went, I went back to work pretty quickly there after just doing legal research and writing, you know, I was doing clerking work just to make some side money. And then I started working full time in January, which the issues I experienced as a young mother in that firm are a story for another day. But when I had my second daughter, my second child, my daughter, four years later, I was like, I am not going back to work after three weeks. And I just enjoyed putting my feet up on the couch. So (laughs) mother to mother, maybe that's what you want to do. Right. And that's, and I think it's like, what helped me was having, like I said, having those working moms that I could have those conversations with, because I encountered a lot of, some moms were like, nope, I want the Mm -hmm. full three months and I want to be done with it. Yeah. And then I'm just going to go, and I, it's like, it's like rewards for me. I can like go back and like put on my, put on the nice clothes that I like being, putting on, going into air conditioning on a daily basis. And, and it's a clean break. And other moms like me said, you know, I had a hard time breaking that, that bond that I had with my child. So it helped me to ease out of it. So I actually did a, with both children, I worked up to a certain amount of hours. So I started low hours, like six to 10 hours a week. And then I worked up over time over three or four months. So I actually ended up, yeah, I actually ended up getting like I think five months essentially of intermittent leave for my second child, which was oh, really, that's nice. really nice. Yeah, that is yeah. really nice. And I like how you worked it out to fit your specific needs. You have two kids now. I have and, two kids. Is that right? Two? Yes. And then you mentioned earlier that you also are still doing some cycling. Is that right? Uh, I try to, yes. Okay. So what else do you do to help stay balanced? What do you do outside of uh, work? We, so... Less so with, um, we haven't been as successful with my second child as with my first child, but we still do. When things feel a little shaky, um, we try to lean on, like, say, my mom um, to help watch the kids so my husband and I can go out for a nice date. Um, I think reconnecting, having that time alone with your spouse is really important. Um, You get to sometimes talk about, like, adult things, like, like your career and then you also get to like start to dream about where you want to go in your career or home ownership aspirations or anything like that right so that's one thing that we do and then we also I also try to make sure I make time for for other friends and like adult women yeah Um, mostly working professional moms you know just and then we could talk about so one of the other things I do regularly as we try to schedule like once a month things with a couple groups of friends where we just like head to the beach take some food take some drink hang out and just like spend time talking about everything and anything from careers we're, we're all working moms careers to kids to spouses to politics and we actually get to just have that time to be away and we we say no kids yeah that's nice. Yeah. I probably could use some adult-only time in my life also. <laughs> so I want to go back. We're talking about your friend circle, and you did mention your working your mother group um, that kind of gave you advice about being a working mom. I, I want to go kind of like throughout your career all the way back to law school until you've gotten to where you are and talk about mentorship and um, any mentoring relationships that you found particularly helpful and how you developed those? So I would say that I, you know, in law school, um, 
Leslie Obiora was a professor of mm-hmm. mine, and she I saw as a as a mentor in law school. Um, she was somebody I could just rely on to talk to about all kinds of things and politics and have someone, she was always a good check of like whenever things got a little too, too much law school, I don't know how to say it, like yeah. extra law school-y, she'd be like, yeah, but come on kid, well, this, this is only in law school we do have this problem, right? So she was a good check and she was inside the law school, she was a professor, so she was someone kind of a good reality check there. Um, and then when I, um, when I started working at the Pima County Attorney's Office, I was really fortunate to have a couple of women who I work closely with in the employment section at the Civil Division. Um, so Wendy Peterson, she was the legal advisor to the sheriff at the time. Um, I think she still works for Pima County, but not in the Attorney's Office now. Um, and then Stacy Roseberry, I think she still works for the county attorney's office in the civil division. Um, but those two women really kind of walked me through like what it meant to be a, a woman lawyer. Stacy talked to me about what it meant to be stressed out in law school and <laughs> how I needed to make sure that I, I maintained the habits of exercise um, and healthy eating, because if that makes me feel better, that's something I can count on. Um, yeah. So it was that those, they were, they were there to help me both in career and in like just whole lifestyle. And um, I'll always remember Wendy, um, when she left the county attorney's office, I was at the sheriff's department at the time. She said, you know, this is, she, you're meeting with some of the leadership of the sheriff's department. And she said, Kip, well, I want you to know, and she, this was a party for her, but she looked at me, she says, I want you to know, this is why we do our practice for clients like these who are doing good work. And yeah. having somebody tell me that, and remind me that we do our work not for necessarily not for our bosses, not for our organizations, but for the clients we serve is something that stuck with me for, I mean, even in PR. Yeah. I feel that way about education too, is I'm always trying to remember that the students are my clients and that even though there can be like competing interests pulling you in all different directions, like I'm here to serve and try to help the students right. be successful. So I try to keep that in mind. I'm interested because you said you got these two women mentors at the county attorney's office. And I don't know that that's uh, a given that you get a mentor through your summer job. Was there a structured mentoring program there or how did you end up making a strong connection with these women? I was, I, I just ended up being in the employment section. Like I think in the civil division, at least at the time we would rotate units. Um, and so I ended up working with the, in the employment unit. And I just really, really, really liked it. And I really excelled in it. And because of that, I just, they kept giving me work. And they kept requesting (laughs) that I stay in the employment unit, which is not normal. Um, So that's just, I ended up working with them a bunch. And I continued to work for them. And I understood, um, I think one thing that I, I try to remember now, you know, 10 years out of law school is that one of my one of my strengths is being able to understand other people's strengths and weaknesses and how can I help either fill in gaps or um, lift them up even higher so they can thrive even more on their strengths. And so I saw my ability to, my ability and my desire to, to do legal writing. I really enjoyed writing as something that was a good complement to um, at least one of my mentors. And so I, she would give me all of the writing assignments and I would just eat it all up. And that's how we ended up. I think that's how we got close, closer is because she didn't, 
she was much better at the client interaction and going and doing hearings and whatnot. Um, and she relied on me to be, be her writer. And that was a sweet spot for me. Awesome. By the way, I can hear the sweet sound of birds chirping in Hawaii from the other side of my yes. car, which is nice. <laughs> and it's nice and sunny because it's been rainy. Another thing I learned from working at the county attorney's office as a law clerk was the need to have a solid team. Because yeah. that, that first summer, like we just, we got a lot of work done and we also just had so much fun. It makes and something just, difference to make that, does. to find that fit of where your personality is going to thrive. Right, right. And that you could have different people and, you're the, and it could still work as a team. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I kind of hit on all of the different questions that I kind of have that I always ask, but I'm wondering if you have any other thoughts in general on wellness in the profession or what you think can be done to improve. You know, I think, I think about this a lot, and I know I had mentioned this before, that law school was really tough for me um, in a very personal way. And I think in particular, I don't know that it's all it's just students of color or if it's students, indigenous students, um, that folks who are typically underrepresented in the area and where we, where the law has historically been unfair, quite frankly. Um, that was one of the things that made law school so difficult is this, having to come to terms with the fact that I needed, if I was going to work in, say, Indigenous law, which I didn't end up, but if I was going to, or even to some extent, employment discrimination law, that I had to rely on laws that were, at least when they were made, deeply flawed. And yeah. oftentimes, that's at best, oftentimes, at worst, incredibly racist. Yeah. sexist and so having to grapple with like just who am I as a person and can I do am I strong enough to use these systems who have you know historically disadvantaged the communities I come from like am I strong enough as a person I think that's a lot of what was difficult for me in law school and I was young and that's why I tell people don't go right after undergrad because you just don't know who you are Mm -hmm. until you've had some life experience and you've had to have your your values challenged um, yeah. as opposed to going into law school and literally with the Socratic method have your values challenged because you yeah. have to answer questions about cases that are deeply personal um, so I think anything I think recognizing that that is that the that law can be very, very, very personal, even a case that's been litigated a hundred years ago can still be incredibly personal and hurtful yeah. to law students. And wherever the particular legal education and legal educators can figure out a way to acknowledge how, how hurtful it can be and how personal people can take legal opinions, um, I think it'll go a long way to help students especially native students um adjust better um but even just people i mean could be a person of any color or any sex um, or sexual orientation that it's just knowing who you are and the stronger you can get in knowing who you are and how to deal with your stress and how to deal with challenges to your like deepest values um if if we could do that as in in legal education, um, then I think we can make better lawyers because they'll be able to understand how their values sit into, fit into the larger system. That's great. I'm definitely going to keep that in mind as I 
progress in legal education and try to um, figure out how I can send that message on to students also. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, I just think a lot of times we think like, well, it's just a, it's just a legal opinion. Why are you getting so frustrated? Why are you get why are you crying? And it's like, because you don't understand that this decision happened here, but 50 years later, someone relied on that decision to dispossess us of our rights and our lands. Right. Like that hurts still yeah. today and has implications today. And so like, I, I felt that frequently in law school, like it's not, a, it shouldn't be a big deal. Why is this such a big deal to you? And that was, that's hard. Yeah. And I, would, I, I wish that, I don't wish that on anybody. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. But I think that you did a good job of figuring out a, how to develop good coping mechanisms, but also how to find a way to use your law degree in a way that makes you feel good about what you're doing. Yeah. And yeah. we still, and, and I think because I'm, I feel confident in talking about the law, I can go to lawyers that I work with and say, Hey, you know, this is a policy change we want to make. How can, how can we work together to make this happen? And it's a good, yeah, you don't have to be in the practice of law to change laws and to affect the legal profession. Oh, that's great. I think that's a good spot to end the, the official yeah. interview on. And I appreciate it so much. But it's just funny. It was great, like, talking to you because I just, it took me back. So I got to be honest with you. I originally recorded that interview a while ago and then got really busy. And I just got around to sitting down and editing it. And when I listened to it again, I was just taken aback by all of the great insights that K.O. Poo had to share. So I can't be grateful enough for the people that are coming onto this podcast and are sharing their stories so that hopefully they can help other attorneys learn how to thrive in this profession. I have some great ideas for some episodes coming up and also another interview that I have already recorded. So once again, if you do like this podcast and you want me to keep recording, please give me positive feedback and let me know what you'd like for me to talk about. And until next time, be sure that you're taking care of yourself.